thanks so much for meeting me. I appreciate it. Man. Yeah, you bet. Uh, you bet. Have you ever been here before? This is actually my first time. Or, yeah, cool. the menu looks really good though. The menu looks awesome. I'm, I'm looking at this Fiesta morning sandwich. Yeah. Man, it looks so good. That looks really good. Uh, what's great about that, you know, is Jesus' mercies are new every morning. Okay. Um, well, there's also the fabulous French toast here that, oh my goodness. That looks really good too. You know, what's even better about that is somebody else is pretty fabulous and Jesus is, is fabulous. All right. Gentlemen, here is your grass-fed, triple-distilled water from the Thanks for the water. You know, somebody else that I know really likes water, Jesus likes water. He actually turned water into wine. He walked on it, and uh, he actually referred to himself as the living water. Okay, uh, I'll give you guys another second. Thanks. Gentlemen, have you decided? Decided to follow Jesus? You bet. Um, I'll, I'll give you guys more time. Gentlemen, have we decided? Actually, I was wondering about the appetizers. Uh, yes, we have a delicious plate of meat and cheeses. You want to meet Jesus? I know what you're doing, and I don't like it. Hey, new guy! Tim? Uh, Tom. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. So how are things going so far? Things are okay, you know. Lots to learn, getting used to things. Okay, sounds like you could use some prayer. Uh, I'm kind of known for praying for people around here, but yeah, is that right sure. if I pray for you? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Sure, I, I mean, like, right now. Oh, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Sure. Oh, okay. Dear Jesus, Heavenly Father, God. Hey, Wendell got that report you had asked for. Alright, thanks. Hey, let's pray over this. Yeah. Okay, God, I sure. thank you for all the work that Tim's put into this um. report. Hey, Tim, you making copies? Um, it's Tom, actually, and, and yes, I am making copies. What gave it away? Well, let's pray about this. How many are you making? Uh, I'm about to make 500, actually. All right, let's pray for each one. Father God, I just pray for copies 1 through 13. Hey, Tim! No, no! No! And it's Good morning, sleep-in service. Good, Good to see you guys. Glad that you're here. Please, for the love of God, don't be those guys. Like, just don't be. Welcome to our new series we're calling The Conversation. We're into it for a couple of weeks. Last week, we basically laid down some of the basic rules from Scripture. I don't like using the word rules because of the way we respond to that. But basically laid down the rules of sharing your faith in Christ. And a basic summary was be nice and follow the wisdom of Colossians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Let me review it for it quickly so you can catch up. That verse says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. So understand your reputation actually matters. Make the most of every opportunity, which means asking 
asking God for open doors, bold proclamation, and an opportunity to be crystal clear when you do have an opportunity to speak of Jesus. Let your conversation, we learned last week, that God assumes we're going to be having conversations with people that don't believe the same thing we believe, and that we should actually welcome and seek out those relationships. Always full of grace. That's what the verse says next, which means not full of antagonism, not full of frustration, not full of belittling or petty, but actually being gracious in every conversation that comes our way. Seasoned with salt. We define that as a light dusting of grace that enhances the flavor of truth as opposed to assaulting people on Facebook, sending them nasty messages to write, you know, typed in all caps. All right? Scripture goes on, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And we understand that means that we don't have to have an answer every single time to every single question. We simply have to have a desire to want to answer those kind of questions. Those are the rules. That's what Jesus told us when we have the conversation, how we're supposed to actually handle that. Now, some of us react to the word rules, right? But the reality is we all have to deal with them. You all learned basic communication rules growing up. Your parents would tell you, don't talk with your mouth full. Use your words. Speak in complete sentences. And the reason those are communication rules or axioms, generally accepted principles, is because they actually work. And as you grow, you're given more rules. When you show up on your first date, there are rules to communication. Some of you should actually write some of these down. Okay, on a first date, <laughs> on a first date you should not say, do you want to see my latest mugshot? Okay, don't say that. On your first date, you should not say, hey, depending on how this goes, I just want you to know I brought a ring. Okay? Not good wisdom. If you are on your first date, you should not say, do you want to see my Star Wars collection? Okay? Ladies, if they say that, run. That's just good wisdom. Okay? There are basic rules of communication. Never break up with somebody over text. Okay, you'd think that would go without sayings, but unfortunately, it doesn't. Okay, don't put emojis on your resume. As an employer, I'm just sharing wisdom with you, okay? And don't use the word like as a filler, because it makes you just seem not very bright. Just saying, okay? Here's the rule of the day as we walk through the conversation. Some conversations are simply better had when you're sitting down. Okay, just think about that for a second. When someone asks you to sit down for a conversation, what do you think? Normally, I think, okay, this is serious. I need to pay attention. I need to focus because what they're going to say to me is unbelievably important. Well, that's what's happening in Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. The Bible says this. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. Get the picture. Jesus gathers his closest group of friends, and they're reclining. They're sitting together at a dinner table, and he's invited them together for a conversation that they don't know is coming. Obviously, it's serious. So he gathers his friends, his closest little circle, and now he's ready to have the conversation. Verse 21, while they were eating, so get the picture, they're actually in the motion, right? Taking a piece of bread, they're grabbing their cup, they're sitting down for the main course, whatever it happens to be. It says, while they were eating, he said, meaning Jesus, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Can you imagine? Everybody freezes, right? Excuse me? Yeah, one of you is going to betray me. I'm sure they froze. I mean, can you just hear the air getting sucked out of the room in that moment? You're just there for a nice dinner, thinking everything is cool, and then Jesus drops that emotional bomb right in the middle of the room. One of you is going to betray me. Verse 22, they were very sad. 
They began to say to him, one after another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. I mean, that would be my response too, right? No, 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 no. It couldn't possibly be me. I'm one of the good guys. Like on a rank of one to 12, I'm at least sitting at number, like number five or six as far as positional stuff like that. I'm doing really, really good. Jesus, you and I are close, right? It couldn't possibly be me. Verse 23, the one, Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Interesting fact, if you're having a Middle Eastern dinner, everybody shares in the common bowls. At some point during that evening, every single person sitting around that table had their hand in the bowl. Verse 24, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Isn't that nice light dinner conversation? One of you is going to betray me, and by the time we're done this, morning, this evening, it would be better for one of you to not even have been created or existed because of what it is that you're going to do, and I know exactly which one it is. Verse 25, then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi? Jesus answered, you have said so. Like, ding, 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 ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. And it's not the prize you want to win. It's a tough conversation, the kind that's probably better had just sitting down together with a group of friends. I mean, I read this and I begin to learn lessons from my Savior about how to have these difficult conversations. Here's what I learned first. Number one, that Jesus initiated a hard but necessary conversation. I mean, Jesus knew he had to bring this out into the open, but I want you to notice something. Does anyone see any arguing? Anybody hear anybody screaming according to the text? Does anybody see anybody flipping out or, 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 or yelling in somebody's face or trying to prove that they're more right than the other person at the table? Does anybody see any of that at all? Absolutely not. I think Jesus is modeling something for us here. He's modeling what it means to be gracious in the face of unbelievably difficult truth. I mean, just think about this. Jesus knows what Judas is going to do, and in spite of everything that may have said, he should have an emotional response. Instead, he's both truthful and gracious. Secondly, I learned that Jesus had the courage to go there. Jesus loved Judas enough to actually go there. This is a big issue, isn't it? It's the issue of betrayal. For Jesus, it's an issue of life and death. I believe our Savior's teaching here again. I mean, I've never found a single hot-button issue that couldn't be talked about in a coherent way as long as I'm willing to play by the rules that my Bible has actually laid out for me. So think about this. Somebody pushes a hot button. What does your Bible say? Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. What does your Bible say? Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. What does your Bible say? Be kind to one another. I was given this little gift last week by a lady who came to last week's services and kind of summarized my whole uh, message in a quote from a lady by the name of Madeline Lengla. She said this, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all of their hearts to know the source of it. What else does Jesus teach us here? He teaches us that sometimes we run the risk of rejection when we stand for Him. That's point number three in your outline. Jesus embraced the rejection of Judas for the truth of the conversation. I mean, last week we talked about the excuses, right? 
the excuses that push us into silence and why so many of us would, would so love to have an opportunity to share our faith, but we just avoid it with all costs because we're afraid of being rejected. Here were some of the avoidance issues that we talked about last week. Here are the excuses, right? I'm not wired that way. So we think sharing our faith is just for the extroverts in the room. Another excuse, I'm afraid I won't have all the right answers. So we think that only people that, that can play Bible answer man are the people that get to weigh in on this particular conversation. There was another one that was difficult for us to hear, but the reality is some of us just go, I just don't care. Salvation, good enough for me. I just don't want to share it with anybody else. Here was another one. I don't have a faith that's actually worth giving away. What if you could? What if you could have a faith that was worth giving away, that you actually felt that Jesus was doing so much work in your life that you would want that for the people that you love? And here, here was the one that caused probably the most stir, probably the one that caused most of us to go, yeah, that's just true. The number one excuse that we found is people just like, I'm just afraid of being rejected. I don't want someone to not like me because I actually affiliate or hang out with this guy called Jesus. Jesus knew rejection was coming, but that didn't stop him from sharing the truth. Now, the reality is I get asked a lot of tension-filled questions. Some of the questions that I get asked are in public places, and they're often loaded with emotion. And I've got to be really careful in, in series like this. I don't use a lot of contemporary illustrations because I don't want my friends or the people that God puts across my path to ever feel like the only reason I'm having a conversation with them is so that I, I have cool stories to tell on Sunday mornings and Saturday nights. I just don't want to go there, right? So I have to go back into the historical archives just a little bit just to honor and respect the conversations that I'm having right now. A couple of years ago, I'm working in a coffee shop. I do that a lot because I like to be in the flow of humanity. It's amazing what you learn just by sitting in a corner and listening. And I was sitting there minding my own business, typing, working on some type of a, of a message or some kind of work like that. And a guy came, flipped his chair around, sat down across from me and looked at me. The first thing out of his mouth was, I don't believe in God. Like, nice to meet you. Um, you know, like, <laughs> see how this goes. So I introduced myself. I said, my name's Grant. He introduced himself. I said, I do believe in God. Tell me your story. Because we all have a story, don't we? And his objections to the existence of God just came pouring out. It was like he had rehearsed them ahead of time. And I think he was able to do that because he lived them. And I just sat there and listened, tried to let him be a person. And when he was finished, he was actually out of breath. I remember him finishing the last story. And it was like... <sighs> So I took my time and just listened to everything that he said, and I remember responding to him this way. I said, I hate, this, I, hate to, I hate to break this to you, but uh, you don't have a problem with God. You have a problem with the followers of God. I said, you have a problem with people who say they followed God, and then they acted in a way that made you question God's very existence. I said, I totally understand how that works. Basically, God's a very convenient target, but please, for the love of God, don't mistake or confuse Jesus for his followers. Isn't that a sad commentary? Don't confuse Jesus for his followers. And so I just let that sink in for a second, and I watched him do this mental math in his brain that basically came to the conclusion, I picked the wrong villain my whole life. I don't have an issue with God. I've got an issue with some followers of God. Can anybody else relate to that? Amen. You know? He was a little freaked out. And in that moment, can I be honest? We were both a little out of our comfort zone. 
I mean, I, I was out of my comfort zone because I didn't know where the conversation was going. He was outside of his comfort zone because he didn't know where the conversation was going. And in that moment, I learned something to be true. When you're out of your comfort zone, God meets you there. In fact, that's kind of a story of Jesus' life, isn't it? Jesus left his comfort zone to have this conversation. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? I kind of paraphrased it this way in your outline. When we were absolutely helpless in the grip of sin, Jesus extracted himself from the comfort of home to step across time and space to rescue us. He could have just stayed in his comfort zone, in his perfect little heaven bubble, but something, something so compelling drove him out of heaven to a little insignificant blue speck in the middle of a universe that he had created, coming here to initiate a conversation with people, a conversation between the created and the creator. I mean, this is where the reality of this series just hits us right in the face and in the heart. The question is this, are we willing to follow the example of Jesus and leave our comfort zone for the sake of another? Or are we going to just participate in a betrayal of silence? Because boy, we just look at Judas and go, how could you? Could it be that there's more similarities every time we just make the decision? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because I don't want to offend anybody and I want to be politically correct, so I choose to say nothing. So here come the questions, right? Asking myself these questions all week. Are we willing to graciously have these kind of conversations? Are we willing to risk the rejection? Are we willing to love without restriction? Are we willing to go there with both grace and truth? Are we willing to be a part of the process without knowing all of the outcomes, but trusting that God does? You're going to hear me say this over and over again during the series. This is so much more about our obedience than it is about the other person's response. And we get that all upside down, right? It's just like, no, 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 no. This is what's got to happen. I need to come in. I need to tell them the truth of Jesus. They need to fall on their knees right here in the middle of this coffee shop, repent, come to Christ, and we need to pray over top of them, you know, and maybe we'll even walk outside, find a puddle, and baptize them. And if that's not the whole thing, then, then I, I don't know even why I'm here. Could it be that sharing our faith is so much more about our obedience and that we need to leave the results or the response to the God who actually loves the person across from us more than we ever could? Are we willing to walk across the room? Are we willing to leave our comfortable little bubble and to walk across to somebody else and see whether or not God might show up in a conversation? Are we willing to talk face-to-face -face graciously and kindly? Are we willing to understand that the goal of these conversations is never to create a confrontation with us, but instead to create a confrontation between that person and the God that they love? I mean, I'll find, whenever I get stuck in these types of conversations, I'm amazed how much time I spend just trying to get out of God's way. Are we willing to step out? Jesus was. Jesus did. He had the hard conversation. He shared of himself. And in the next moment, here's what's an amazing thing that happens. Jesus brings his friends to a place of both confrontation and understanding. Now, I want you to notice something. I use the word bring as opposed to the word invite. You're going to hear this a lot this fall as well. There's a huge difference between bringing and inviting. I'm not talking down about inviting. 
I think inviting is important. That's why we provide invitations for you at strategic times during the year. You know, fall kickoff and, and Easter and Christmas. I mean, we do that. We think that's important. But I want you to just notice the difference between inviting and bringing. When I invite you, I give you a time and a place and I hope you show up. When I bring you, I show up with you at a certain time at a certain place. Do you see the subtle difference? Do you see which one is more personally involved? I mean, think about which is more powerful, right? Hey, I'm going to church on Sunday morning, 9.30. You should show up sometime. As opposed to, hey, I'm going to church again this Sunday morning. Sleep-in service, 11.15. And I'd love to bring you along. I can come and pick you up, or if you're more comfortable, I could meet you at the front door. We could sit together. And afterwards, I'd love to hear if you have any questions, because I understand that Sometimes church is strange. You see which one is more integrated? I'm going to say it again. Inviting has its place, but I wonder whether or not for some of us, God is calling us to a new level of conversation where we actually invest in someone and bring them along knowing that many conversations could spill out of this one. Jesus brings his friends to a table. He brings them to a table so they can encounter the depth of his love and understand the depth that he was willing to go to in order to save them. Let's continue. Everybody, it seems like people, most people know how, you know, the communion part of the story. What people forget is what happened right beforehand. It's the Judas conversation. It's kind of scary. Then in verse 26, same chapter, same context, the Bible says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When I read that passage, all I can see in the room is these great big, great big question marks floating all over the place. The disciples just going, what in the world just happened to dinner? And here's what I learned. Jesus was willing to be misunderstood in the conversation because I'm sure these guys were a little confused. I mean, they're thinking to themselves, this is the plan. We're going to Jerusalem. Jesus is somehow going to overthrow the entire Roman government. He's going to revoke the Roman occupation, and he's going to be declared as king. And because I'm one of the 12 right underneath of him, if Jesus is a king, that means I get to be a prince. This is going to be awesome. And then Jesus throws a bit of a curveball. We are going to Jerusalem, where I'm going to be arrested and tried, and killed, and most of you are going to disappear on me. And I'm sure they're calm. It's just like, what are you talking about? And then, on top of that, he throws in cannibalism. <laughs> Think about it. This is my body. Take a chunk. <laughs> this is my blood. Have a drink. What are you talking about? He was willing to be misunderstood because this is what Jesus knew. You guys actually aren't going to make sense of this for a while. And there will come a moment when you're going to think that you actually wasted your life following me for the past three years. And in that moment, I hope you're going to come back to this conversation and that you'll wait for three days. 
because then everything will change. Jesus was willing to live out the truth of his conversation. He's saying to these guys, I'm not just going to talk about this. I'm actually going to do it. I'm not just going to walk the walk. I'm actually going to talk the talk. I'm going to do both to the point where I'm going to lose my life and you're going to need to deal with that. And thirdly, Jesus was willing to offer grace and truth in the conversation. I paraphrase it this way. Guys, for the sake of grace, the truth is I'm going to have to die. And I know that's a tough conversation. But I'm going to do that. And this is the reason I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that so that we can facilitate a conversation with my father for you about your eternity. I'm actually here facilitating and sponsoring a greater conversation about eternity, and that's why I have to die. And I know you guys got questions. That's why I asked you to sit down for dinner. That's a tough thing, isn't it? When God says, we should probably sit down and talk about some things. Some of you have already noticed that at the front of each of your sections today are communion tables because we wanted to facilitate a conversation. The Bible says we're supposed to examine ourselves before we come to the communion table, which leads me to a difficult question that I've been thinking about all morning. So what does God need to have a conversation with you about? Does he need to have a conversation about the fact that, that four years ago he put you strategically in a cubicle beside somebody else at work and, and as of today they have absolutely no idea you're a follower of Christ? Not a clue. Because you've engaged in what I would call a betrayal of silence and said absolutely nothing. You're walking the walk and you're just hoping at some point they're going to ask you a good question. Like my friend in Woods. Does God need to talk to us about the fact that for some of us, we may be one of those people who claims to know God, but by our actions, we deny Him? And that we're actually contributing to a different conversation in somebody else's head where they just do the math looking at Christians today and go, I just don't see that much of a difference. You need to take a moment and just kind of sit quietly in God's presence and say, okay, God, what do we need to talk about before I come? Here's another question. Can, can we all have an honest moment? Can we all acknowledge that we're all a little like Judas? I mean, this is what scares me about the life of Judas. It's not the betrayal. It's, for the, it's the fact that for three years he walked with him. He saw all of the miracles. He witnessed everything that Jesus did. And even with all of that overwhelming evidence, even with the fact that he was physically close, he was still fear, uh, spiritually light years away. Could it be for some of us, we're coming to communion today and we have close physical proximity to the God of our salvation, but, but we left him a long, 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 long time ago. The Bible says we're actually supposed to examine ourselves. We're supposed to examine ourselves because I don't like saying it, but I'm going to say it. There are betrayers in the room. And the betrayers are us. And this series is trying to call those of us who fully engaged in a betrayal of silence to actually have the conversation with somebody that we believe God loved enough to die for. Now I know some of us, because I can see the body language in the room, we're just staring at the floor going, I'm not sure I want to have that conversation. Why in the world do I get to come to a table 
If I've already been that kind of a person, I know how much Judas there is inside of me. Before you just push your shame button, before you just push the button that says, I don't deserve to come to the front, can we just, can we just make this clear for everybody? No human being in this room today, including the guy with the microphone strapped to his head, comes to the table under their own strength. Everybody in this room gets carried to the table. God picks us up in our brokenness and he carries us. And I don't care how much Judas you have in your life right now. This is what I know. If you know Jesus, you have more than an invitation. God wants to bring you by the hand to the table so that you can have a moment when he understands that you get it when he says, do this in remembrance of me. We all get to come to the table. Broken, wounded, humiliated, scared, shy, introverted, extroverted, especially every kind of Myers-Briggs temperament in the world gets to come to the table. And then we have to choose whether or not this is just going to be a typical moment or we're going to walk out of here with the taste of bread and grape juice rolling around on the tip of our tongue and seeing whether or not God's actually using that to say, do you have the guts to initiate a conversation about me out there? Has anybody else noticed that it's easy to talk about Jesus in church? What would happen if God's people actually talked about Jesus out there? So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask the band to come back and join me. I'm going to ask those that are serving communion to please come to the front or to the middle sections. I'm going to ask the ushers to prepare themselves as we get ready for this time together. If you've never received communion here at Christ the King before, we want to make this as easy as possible. So I'll give you some instructions. Hopefully I can give it to you with clear communication so that this goes well for everybody. You'll notice in the front of your section, there are tables. And on those tables are the communion elements. In a few moments, an usher is going to come to the right-hand side of each one of the sections, and they're going to dismiss you row by row. And when you see somebody there, or if there isn't anybody there, and you notice that the row has gone in front of you, we're just going to ask you to stand and exit to your right. Okay? Please don't go to your left. If you go to your left, it will not go well for anybody, okay? We're all going to our right, which is my Canadian left, and I can say that because I'm a Canuck, okay? You're going to your right. You're going to exit to your right, and you're going to come down the side of your aisle, and you're going to approach the two people that are standing in front of you. Please don't be intimidated by them. There's just as much Judas in them. In fact, they are so honored. In fact, they're going to initiate a tiny little one-sided conversation. They're going to say, the body and blood of Christ for you. And we're going to ask you to take a small piece of bread and the cup that's there. You can receive the emblems right there, or if you want to, you can take them back to your seat. If you need a few extra moments and you just want to sit quietly for a little while, you're going to exit, stand to your right, Come down the right-hand side. Be served. If somebody is standing at one of the servers, please use the other server as well. 
And then you're going to exit up the left-hand side of your section. So you're basically walking in a great big circle. All right? I want you to know that we serve grape juice of Christ the King in honor of all of our brothers and sisters who are currently in recovery. We want you to know that the table is safe for you and we would never do anything to trip you. You are our heroes and we are so honored to share this table with you. There are receptacles for your cup if you'd like to place it there. So one more time, stand, exit to your right, come to the front and be served. Go back up on the other side to your left, walk in a big circle, grab a seat and worship the entire time. If you're here today and you choose not to participate, can I just say, that's okay. In fact, we are so honored by the fact that you would respect what we're doing. If you're just not quite there, you're still checking out this Jesus or church thing, if that's you, it's okay. When it comes time for your row, all you're going to do is stand up, slip back in your chair, let people walk by. They're not going to think twice about the fact that you're not joining us today. But someday we hope that you can. So, in a moment, I'm going to ask those of you in the front row of each section to stand and lead by great example. You're going to be tempted as front row people to simply stride forward and receive. Actually, I need you to leave to the right and do the big circle so that all the rest of us. So just hold on one second. Would you join me as we pray today? Father God, we acknowledge right now that you may need to have a conversation with us. Father, out of this conversation, I pray that we would engage in a godly conversation as you open doors. Lord, give us the eyes to see the opportunities that are right in front of us. Lord, help us to examine ourselves right now during this time. God, would you, would you remind us that we're being carried to the table? It's your strength, your sacrifice. God, we do this in remembrance of you. We thank you for your gracious bringing today. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.